Hey everybody and welcome to the Open Forum podcast. Today we have with us Arno Wellens. Arno is a journalist, a writer and a speaker. He has a degree in business economics from the University of Amsterdam and he's also prior to diving into journalism, worked in the banking industry, in the banking sector with KPMG, uh, amongst others. But Arno, that's a very short 20-second introduction to who you are. Can you maybe take better. two minutes and um, yeah, let us know who you are, and then we're just going to dive on in. Well, that, that was basically correct. I, I was born in the Netherlands, a small village, then I moved to Amsterdam to, for, my, uh, for my education. I did work uh, for some banks, etc. I was on the team, the audit team, that approved the final uh, annual report from Fortis Bank. Fortis Bank was a major Belgian-Dutch banking consortium, and they collapsed in the previous credit crisis. And that was a very uh, interesting moment, very insightful, because you can follow all the procedures. You can think you do everything, you do everything right, according to regulations with respect to auditing, risk management, how you report it, and still, uh, um, the, before you know it, a bank can suddenly collapse. These things happen, so your economy is probably much more fragile than you think it is. Mm. Um, and um, then I met a uh, Dutch journalist. I think most people know him. His name is Jort Kelder. And he said, you know what? If you become a journalist, then you'll, be pro you'll probably be one of the few people who can actually read uh, or understand what ha what ha what's happening inside banks because most journalists don't. That's I think that's a major problem with journalism in general. That um, if you study journal, if you if you say, well, I want to be a journalist and I study journalism, you, you don't need to. There's no mathematics or anything that. Uh, no, you don't have to have insight into the particular area of journalism. Exactly, that you're diving so into. You're graduated and then. You have to start from scratch. So if you're a journalist and you've been that for five or ten years, you, you say, well, I'm a. You think of you, you think you you consider yourself to be a uh, experienced journalist, and they put you in front of a banker who has done something uh, nasty. Let's put it that way. It's very difficult for you to uh, to really dig in deep him. on yes. the finer aspects, the finer details yes. that got you to where you are. Look, I think that's probably uh, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a nice uh, sort of place to begin the the financial crisis, but it, it's we're not going to be able to talk up to the digital currency situation, the, the crypto situation without first having a little bit of that history. So maybe you can mm. talk to us about how did we get to this situation with the financial crisis? What brought us to that point and how that has now led up to this issue that we're now facing with potential implementation of digital currencies. And then we'll uh, later on maybe touch on the um, potential wow, sinister aspects of that. Yeah. What a such a question. Well, uh, luckily, I, I think I'm I'm capable of answering that because just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I've been doing my homework. Well, basically, what's happening is that uh, in 2008 you had a credit crisis, and um, right after that the the euro crisis and the problems that you had uh, at these moments in the in the American housing market, but also in the Dutch housing market. The flaws in the currency union, um, they all became apparent. And what our policymakers did, and they made a terrible mistake, by actually asking central banks to fix the situation. So politicians didn't uh, take their responsibility. They asked central banks to do it. So that's where the money printing came from. So, for example, if you look at the eurozone, 
if you want to have a, a single currency between nations that, that differ considerably, you need to have a very strong central power that is, uh, that is capable of intervening. Because under normal circumstances, if you're, say, uh, Greece or Italy, if you're a country in the periphery, as they call it, but make no mistake, France is in the periphery as well. I think even France is too weak to be in the Eurozone, which is effectively the, 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 the Deutschmark. Um, what's happening is that if you're in a recession, um, yeah, most Europeans, they, they hate to admit it, but actually Germany is the stronger economy. But anyway, if, you, uh, um, if you're in a recession, um, most countries can actually make their own policy. So they can either lower interest rates to attract investors, they can sort of debase their currency, uh, which you shouldn't do too much, but that, that could make your exports cheaper and invite uh, tourism, or you can accept uh, a budget deficit for a shorter period of time and make sure that you have, um, that you keep people working. For example, in, in the Netherlands, you have the, the afsluit deck. Uh, so it's the, uh, it's the connection between the provinces of North Holland and, Fri and Frisia, for example. It's a 30 meter dike just through the water. It's a connection. And a lot of people ask, why would you build that? Well, they built it in the 30s because there was a lot of, in the 20s, because there was a lot of unemployment. And the government said, well, rather than staying home, let's, let's go build some infrastructure. The, the, the Amsterdam's Bos, the park, for example, was also built in that time. The problem is if you're in a currency union, let's say if you're in the Eurozone, in your Greece, um, you can't do all these things. First of all, you can't lower your interest rates because you don't have a central bank anymore. The central right. bank left for Frankfurt. You don't have your own currency anymore because it doesn't exist. It's, uh, there's no Greek drachme, for example, or the Italian lira, it's all gone, or Spanish peseta. So these countries are stuck. Then what you could do uh, is uh, accept budget deficits. So you, you can, the, the, the Keynesian argument, counter-cyclical investments from the government, you can't do that either because it's forbidden by law. So you're stuck. Well, if you're unemployed and you're living in one of these countries, well, what can you do? Well, the idea, the, the, the philosophy, the ideology behind European integration is that, well, in that case, you should be able to move. That's why we remove the internal borders without checking for what's happening at the external borders, which become common for everybody, but that's, that's another discussion. So the idea was, well, if you're unemployed in Greece, you can simply go to Germany. Because now we're all one country, a bunch of politicians say, well, we are all one country right now, so you should behave like we are one country. However, super we state. have yeah. well, a super state, but it doesn't work like that. The state follows the desires of the people and, um, and not, you, you can't create a state. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, that doesn't work like that. So the end result is it's very predictable. People don't move. There's no labor mobility in the European Union. Well, you might say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I'm the exception, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. luckily uh, the Dutch people, they, they know how to speak English. And, but, but in general, if you compare labor mobility in the European Union and the United States of America, it's a factor of about 10, something like that. Because Someone might United say, just, just on that uh, labor movement aspect, you, you do have uh, some shifts in labor, okay, maybe not from Greece, but you have the shift from Eastern European countries uh, towards the UK, towards the Netherlands, and they they pick up the um, more manual labor jobs, that side of thing. And then um, from their side, then they're picking up people from Ukraine, uh, uh, going to Poland and that yeah. kind of thing. So that, there is some element of movement in the labor force. 
right? Um, to some extent, yes, but um, most jobs they are usually in the uh, in the extreme higher end or the lower end of your uh, as the Dutch called the salary building. Yeah. So for for most middle class jobs, it is very hard to to move. I mean, if you're a chemistry teacher in Greece and you want to move to the Netherlands, it's it's quite hard. Hmm. It is much harder to do that than if you if you go from North to South Dakota in the United States. So there is labor mobility. And these American states, they absorb each other's shocks. And in Europe, it doesn't really happen because all these economies and the cultures and the languages are so different. And as a result, what they should have done in uh, 1992 when they decided on implementing the euro they should have said well you know what we want to be together it is a huge project it is very ambitious but if your ambitions are high your willingness to sacrifice should be high as well uh, but for example the dutch people about 72% they make calculations of that estimates uh, inquiries 72% of the dutch people don't want to pay for other european nations they simply don't want it they don't feel the amount of solidarity then our politicians said, well, you know what? We will go on with the euro. Um, we don't uh, prepare ourselves for a crisis. And then we go and sit with our fingers crossed and hope that a crisis will never hit, hit us. That's literally what they did. Well, then the crisis hits you, then you don't know what to do. At that point in time, the central banks, uh, the European central bank said, well, if the po politicians don't want to take their responsibility, I will do it. Mario Draghi said it. He said, I will do whatever it takes to save the euro. And he did. You can if, if this man says something, you can rely on him. <laughs> he will do that. So he unleashed a tremendous wall of money um, to make up for the shortcomings, the institutional shortcomings of the eurozone. Um, but at a tremendous cost. And that is the inflation that you see right now. And um, to answer your question in the beginning, the, the problem is that um, the, 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 the holes or the, the institutional shortcomings have never been addressed. So you have these institutional shortcomings, then you hit a wall, right? the crisis starts, uh, but you don't really address the root cause of the crisis. So the root cause of the crisis persists into the next crisis, and then it hurts twice as much. So what, what the root causes of the crisis that happened in 2008 and what we're seeing sort of rebounding now during the corona crisis now I, yeah let's go from there there's there's no central government if you um uh, if, if you have one currency union you need to have one ministry of finance and it needs to uh, be able to to issue debt uh, to 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 make up for the shortcomings that i mentioned and um and it needs to levy taxes to service those bonds, those government bonds. If you want to build a currency union, you need to become a complete political union. And there's actually no debate about it. You can be in favor of it for some reason or not, but that, that doesn't mean that uh, you should be against the facts. I mean, it's very simple. If, if you want to run a marathon, you should train for three months. And you can say, well, I don't think it's worth it, so I'm not going to do it. Well. That's fine, but if you don't accept the responsibility, you, you don't have these giant ambitions. And um, and one of these um, responsibilities, one of these uh, prerequisites, is uh, a central taxpayer-funded um, Ministry of Finance, and the taxes in the Netherlands should go up by five percent points of GDP, which means a ten percent, ten percent, something like that tax increase. 
And if you do that, um, and it's it's like uh, a rainy day fund. I would literally literally want to call it like that. It's a rainy day fund. All nations put some money in a in a jar for the rainy day fund. When there's when there actually is a rainy day, you have your jar and you can help the people that need it most. And that's the solidarity that you need to make it work. Um, and in 2012, we had a euro crisis, um, and uh, at, at a number of meetings, like uh, in February 8th, 2013, uh, a decision was made to let the European Commission levy their own taxes. But it was highly un unpopular with the population. So what all, all the governments did, the government leaders, especially the Dutch Prime Minister Rutte, what he said, well, no, I, I, I've never signed it. We will not raise any taxes, et cetera, et cetera. But he, he did promise that he would do so in Brussels. So as a result, the bond yields uh, went down. So the interest rates that the Southern European nations had to pay uh, were decreasing because financial markets were assuming that uh, if there would be a next crisis, which was obviously around the corner, then the Dutch would pay anyway. And, and he made a, uh, it was some political gymnastics. So when you see him in the Netherlands, he will always say, no, I've never signed it. Now we shouldn't increase taxes because nobody likes taxes, right? Taxes should go down. But when he's in Brussels, he says, no, when the time is there, when the time comes, I will actually uh, step up and make the step decision. Up and, and, and make, the, uh, make the necessary payments to save the euro. And that's, and that's, that's the, the schizophrenic situation that we've been in for years. Uh, but during those years, they have, they have before Corona, there have never been any real transfers. They, they weren't really large. So as a result, the central banks had to do it. The European Central Bank had to print all this money and uh, make up for the shortcomings. So one of the and, things that, that um, we've not yet addressed is um, they've printed this money Yes, we've not mentioned why they've printed this money. And um, I, I suppose one of the things that we'll address later on is where this money has come from, whether it's come out of thin air out of or your... if it's come from yeah, somewhere else out of our taxes or what. But we yeah. haven't addressed why they're printing this money and why there has um, uh, why there's this sudden deficit. So perhaps it's a good idea to explain where that deficit has come from and then why them printing this money was initially thought it was a good idea. Actually, it's not really, and it's only dug a deeper hole, and why this whole debt system that we've now massively uh, accrued has put us in, in this place. Well, um, the, the, if, if, I, if I want to answer this question, the, the thing is, with this printing of money, which is quite an interesting concept, because you would say, well, if somebody can print money, just give it to everybody doesn't work like that. If the, if the central bank, the ECB as well, but any central bank, if they want to print money, what they basically do is they can create money on their own, on their own balance sheet. They can do that. Um, then they have excess liquidity. What they th then do, they say, well, let's suppose, uh, I just took this as an example. Let's suppose uh, uh, over here is ABN Ambro, Dutch bank. And over here, we have the central bank, uh, Christine Lagarde. If she wants to create money in the economy, what she does is Christine Lagarde creates money. Let's see if, if I have some money in my pockets. That would be... Uh, <laughs> actually, I do. Yeah, I, I'll show you the, 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 the technicalities of money printing. 
So over, over, over there, that's the central bank, and over there, there's ABN AMRO. The central bank does its magic, suddenly, there's money. Um, the central bank can't actually give this money to where it's needed, to a hospital. The central bank doesn't have the, the, the legal powers to, to fund whoever they want, because if you would do that, you would have a financial dictatorship. It doesn't work like that. The central bank can do one thing and one thing only. What a central bank will do is that they, uh, they will call a certain bank, like ABN AMRO. Uh, ABN AMRO is over here, and they say, hey, ABN AMRO, uh, we want to make sure that this money will uh, be available on your balance sheet so you can actually make loans to, to, to business owners. And as a result of that, that these business owners will, um, uh, will make more investments. These investors' investments will need more employees. And as a result of that, unemployment will drop and economic uh, output will increase. That's the whole idea. So ABN Embro calls, uh, of the central bank calls ABN Embro. Then ABN Embro says, well, actually, I have to sell you something, right? Because it's double entry accounting. That, that's how it works. I mean, um, uh, if, if ABN Embro they have a balance sheet with assets and now they actually have to trade something. So it, it's literally this. And now the central bank uh, is holding these pens and ABN AMRO has all this cash yep. uh, in exchange for, uh, for this. That's how it works. And then they call the bank next month and they do it again and again. And that's an indirect way of financing because indeed, if business owners will um, um, uh, use these investments... To, in, to improve output, they will pay more taxes. And as a result, uh, um, uh, the, the government should, should have more revenues. And that's how you, that's how you fight recession. That, that's the idea. That's, that's basically the idea. Uh, what, what's also happening, um, and that is how you solve the, the, the deficit problem with these poorer governments in the short run, is that if you do this, if the central bank actually creates artificial demand, I, I have only one of these, but I will act like there's more because I'll put it under the table. The central bank will call ABN AMRO every month and they say, hey, do you have any more of these? Oh, sure, ABN AMRO says, and they will sell it some more. Central bank come, comes back next month. Oh, please do that again. So you create all this artificial demands and it is actually real money that is going in the opposite direction all the time. And because you do this all the time, um, the demand, the demand for these uh, for these pens, which are actually government bonds, it increases because if you are an investor, if you're a saver, for example, and you've invested in Greek government bonds, you can do that. You can also not do it, but let's let's assume that you have, um, because a central bank is meddling with with the financial markets. They actually uh, increase artificially increase demand for government bonds because there's a huge financial power, monetary power that, that calls you up every month and it says, I want to buy this, I want to buy this. Well, the price of these will go up. And that makes and that's a secondary market. That's what they call it. And if your government bonds go up in the secondary markets, a poorer country like Greece or Italy, they can more easily sell their own debt because they can create more of these and sell them. Um, it's, um, if, if I want to make an analogy, um, I see there's this, uh, three houses on the opposite side of the street. Uh, and there's somebody in the middle who's in trouble. 
By the way, this guy is not in trouble, trust me. But let's assume he is. Um, what I could do, I, I could give him some money. I, okay, I want to help you out. Here's some money. I add some money. Where is it? Anyway, uh, I, I give you some money. But from the central bank point of view, that's illegal. A central bank isn't allowed to give a government or a hospital or a school or a company or whatever money directly. They can't do that. No. You can only influence the secondary market. What I could do is uh, the guy on the opposite end of the street, if he's in trouble financially, what I could do is I could buy the houses from to the left and to the right from him. As a result of that artificial demand, housing prices will go up and the price of his house will also go up. And that's an indirect way of, some, of helping some. And that is what central banks have been doing from the actually from 2012 on. But they had to do this at a tremendous cost because um, they, they artificially create a market for these government bonds, for debt paper from these poorer nations, because they, in doing so, they create a belief in the minds of investors and people that these bonds are actually safe. And in a, in a way they are, because if Greece is about to default, uh, you can actually sell your bond to the central bank, yeah. and then the central bank will take the they, they take the hit. Um, and to to make it attractive for investors to buy these government bonds, they've lowered interest rates all the time. So every time when they bought us a new batch of old government bonds, they lowered the interest rates so they could say to people, you know what? Why don't you buy some of these the government bonds, but then new government bonds? from the Greek government, for example, uh, because the interest rates are so low. Um, so if, if you want to play this game, you have to lower the interest rates all the time. And at a certain point in time, and that's the big problem that we're in now, at a certain point in time, <coughs> excuse me, um, your, gov your interest rates will go below zero. And that's when it becomes interesting. <laughs> and that's why, why we are now. And then this model stops working. And that's where it becomes a practical issue for more so the common person right because not only has inflation gone up but your interest has yes. also gone down so our, our physical money so that 50 euro that you were start, uh, holding in your hand has lost some of its buying power in that time as well absolutely because you can't you can't um, engage in, in monetary experiments and then expect that the value of money will stay the same Excuse me, because if you look at if you look at the balance sheet, like if you compare the central bank to a company, um, the they always say that the balance sheet from the central bank is exploding. That's in, that is increasing. That's right. But if you look at the right hand side, of the balance sheet where the own, where the ownership lies. So in a normal company, that's where your stock and your uh, uh, your shares and your your the loans, the mortgage on your building, for example, where they reside. And on the left-hand side of your balance sheet, you have the uh, assets that you buy to have a company. If you're a physiotherapist, uh, maybe you have um, a building that you work from. Well, that's actually an asset and it is financed in a certain way. So on the, on the left-hand side of your balance sheet, you have your assets. And on the right-hand side, you have the way how you financed it, your business. And if it's, if it's financed, in a sound way and you make some money, then your business will survive. Well, if you look at the right-hand side from the balance sheet of, of the balance sheet of the central bank, what you'll find there is, um, is money in circulation. So the money that I'm holding, uh, I'm actually holding it, this piece of paper, but it's, it's not 
legally it's not mine. <laughs> it is uh, it is legally and it's I think it's it says somewhere on it it is owned by the central bank. Um, I have to look it up. It, it says somewhere there's some small letters on it. This actually anyway this is owned by the central bank. The central bank owns this money. So if they print more money, they are diluting the money that is in my pocket. So that's why I suffer. Obviously, if if I have one of these in my hands. And there's a limited number of, uh, of these in the entire economy and, and it's being diluted, then it will lose its value. And any other outcome would be impossible to, to, to achieve. Yeah. So that, that's why people feel the inflation. Yeah. And so what is the implication of the interest rate coming down to zero? <coughs> Excuse me, I have something in my, I hope it's not uh, COVID. Um, <laughs> Touch wood. Um, well, the implication of the problem is that um, um, if you go below zero, there is something which they call a zero lower bounds um, with respect to monetary policy transmission. And that is something I've never heard of it. Um, I, I'm, uh, as a journalist, I read all these uh, annual reports from banks, central banks, banks of financial settlements, ECB, whatever. And at a certain point in time, um, the, the chief economists from these uh, Institutions, they mentioned that um, that they were they were going to experience a practical problem, and that is when when you do the trick that I just did with the with the fifty euro bill. If you do that too often and you decrease the interest rate, you lower the interest rates, then at a certain point in time you will go you will reach zero. But if the interest rate for ordinary people like you and me, if it is below zero, something very interesting will happen. The idea is that by lowering the interest rates, the central bank actually wants us to either buy more furniture uh, uh, and stuff and cars and holidays and whatever, so increase the effective demand in the economy. So for example, if if you own 100,000 euro and the interest rate is 4,000 euro, you earn 4,000 euro a year by simply doing nothing. If the central bank decides to lower the interest rates from 4% to 2%, for example, you don't make 4,000 a year, you only make 2,000 a year. So that's less attractive. So that might be an incentive for you to go out and spend. And that spending behavior will increase the economy. Another option is um, that you decide to use your money to buy Greek government bonds and then thereby in, in increasing artificial demand. So what's happening is that the central bank wants you to do stuff. Let's put it that way. A lot of people say, well, that's conspiracy theory or whatever. No, it's not. The central bank wants to um, create incentives for you to to, to engage in certain behavior. They can't force you to do that. They, They can't force you to buy a new car or a new couch or whatever, but they can make it more attractive for you by disencouraging you to do the opposite, which is saving or not buying Greek government bonds. Well, the thing is that uh, you can play this game right until the interest rate becomes zero. Because, well, people might say, okay, the interest rate is, uh, is zero. Let's go from zero to minus 1%, for example. Then you actually start paying fines for having any savings. That's, first of all, from a moral point of view, that's very difficult because the government actually always told you to be smart with your money, you have budget coaches, et cetera. They say, well, 
you should make a budget and have some savings for the rainy day or your pension fund or whatever. Okay. So people start doing that. They save some money for when they're old. And as a result of that, they're, they're getting fines from the central bank. From a moral point of view, it is, it is really strange. But there's something else that's happening. And it is that if you see that you have a savings account, let's say 100,000 euro, um, and the interest rate has gone from 1% to 0%, and now it is below zero, then you actually have to pay money to the central bank, which is, you, you might call it a tax. Um, but you can very easily prevent being taxed this way. Do you know how? By taking all your money out of the bank. Bingo. And as a result of that, these, these, uh, these banks, they might lose their liquidity position. And as a result of that, um, this idea of monetary policy transmission stops working. Because if the central banks tells you to do or give you an incentive to spend your saving accounts, but you don't have a saving account with the bank anymore, so you don't feel the, pressure. the effects of the, of the levy, of the negative interest rate, it doesn't affect you. And, that, and that's where, how they call it, that's where the uh, monetary policy transmission ends. And there's only, and it's, it, it's, it's not happening, this, this effect, you, you can measure the effect, by the way, but it's, it's not a lot of money. I mean, if the interest rate goes from uh, minus 0.1 to minus 0.4 or something like that, which is where we are now, 0.5, um, you won't see droves of people uh, getting all their cash from the bank and... Uh, um, buying lockers at home and that's a uh, vault, cash vault at home where they put their gold and their money. It's, it's not really happening yet, but it could happen. And it's probably going to be more of a problem if the interest rate will decrease further and further and further, hmm. which is wh where we're heading because the interest rate has been dropping for years. So why should that stop tomorrow? And the central bank in its own final uh, annual report has mentioned that the only way of stopping this is abandoning cash. Hmm. And, and from a democratic point of view, that is, uh, let's, let's say, undesirable because if the central bank is creating an incentive for you to behave in a certain way, which is um, um, spend your cash and you refuse to do that, because you don't want to, and you don't want to feel the, the effects of the negative interest rates, then they will simply take your cash, or they, they will remove the opportunity for you to, to not be taxed. And, and that's quite ugly, if you think about it. That's what you would expect in a dictatorship. So you own something, you're not doing with that what I want you to do, well, then I take the opportunity to disobey from you. And that, that's where we are now, and that is central bank digital currency. And that's the opposite of cash. Yeah, yeah. So then we're getting into the interesting world of one, this introduction of the uh, centralized digital currency. We're coming into central crypto, bank, yeah, central bank currency. Uh, we're coming into the crypto market with the decentralized currency. And one of the things that um, uh, comes out of this is also the fact that the, the reason we've run into this problem is because we're running on a fiat currency system at the moment. So yeah. there's nothing truly backing the value of any money that we have in our hands. It's just because the bank says it's worth this much, it's worth yes. this much. What it's all based on trust. That? Yeah, it's all based on trust. So 
one, what is there that stops that happening with the digital currency if that happens? And two, why, why is it a bad thing if we do go the central digital currency side? Uh, two things. Well, first of all, the, the loss of trust could also happen in a, um, in a cash-free society. Um, but the problem is that in a cash-free society, in a, um, which is also a fiat currency, what, what could happen is that the central bank, they could lower the interest rate even further. Um, let's say to maybe minus 5%. And then you effectively have a wealth tax collected by the central bank on your savings without you being able to do anything about it. And then you have the interesting situation. Uh, that's me. Somebody is, uh, somebody's harassing me. Uh, not really. Um, you, you have the American expression, um, you know, the Boston Tea Party. They said, well, we, we don't want to have any taxation without representation. So the inhabitants of the, of the, of the, of the British colonies, they had to pay taxes in the United States, the, which would become the United States. Uh, but they didn't have any seats in parliament. And they said, well, we, we want to end the situation because if you want our money, we, we want to have a vote. No taxation without representation. That was the start of the uh, American Revolution, and that's when the nation was actually born. What we're doing in the European Union, um, uh, but others, other countries might follow, but it's mainly the European Union because we have these weak institutions, and that's why the central bank has to do so much more compared, as compared to the other nations. Because other nations, other large nations, like the United States, for example, um, they have different states, but they, they have a strong central government in their currency union that can keep stuff together. And uh, that, that's, that power is missing in the European Union. So um, the central bank should work twice as fast. And that's why the central bank of the, uh, the European central bank is twice as much as its American counterpart. Uh, the, the, the thing is that um, if these institutions um, needed to make your currency union won't be implemented in a democratic way, like, for example, uh, uh, um, a secretary of finance uh, with democratic control, if you, if you don't want to build it, but you wait for all these years and then finally the central bank will do it, uh, the central bank will then be able to levy taxes I mean, neg negative interest rate is tax. It is wealth tax. It is what it is. Yeah. But they're not, there's no way for you to hold them accountable. So then you have moved away from the idea that taxation and representation go hand in hand. You've sort of created an autocratic institution. They will levy taxes. They will take your money from you. They will use that to stabilize banks, which have very wealthy shareholders. These wealthy shareholders, they love it. <laughs> and there's nothing for you to influence that that uh, um, uh, that, that state aid because that's what it is. You're you're actually helping banks, uh, and that that's that's completely undemocratic. Un undemocratic. But then that, that's my biggest objection. Absolutely, uh, I, I'm with you there. But someone listening to this might say, right. Um, if you and I are going to feel the effects of this negative interest rate on our digital currency, won't then those people who are millionaires, billionaires, et cetera, et cetera, won't those richer people who have the power also feel this? Um, Maybe, no, because they don't have cash. 
I mean, the, the richer you are, the, the less relevant cash becomes. But then if I mean, if you're, if you're a billionaire, I mean, if you're the richest man in Europe is Bernard Arnault, for example. Uh, I'm not resentful. Jealousy is a, is a very uh, unconstructive uh, uh, emotion, but he, he owns 200 billion euro. And it is mainly in shares. So he has shares in uh, LMVA. It's a French, French company and they own um, Louis Vuitton, uh, etc. So all these luxury brands, um, um, they, they are together there in one uh, French um, Société Anonyme. And he owns about, I mean, about 30% or so of it. Um, and he is the richest man in Europe. Okay. I mean, cash, if he, if he, he doesn't, I, I think that I have more cash in my pocket than he does. Yeah, literally. So, so what, you're, what, what you're saying, he's, is... he's not going to feel the effect, but he will. He, he will feel the flip side, because if you look at as, at his wealth, for example, he, his wealth increased by 100 percent, and in his case, that is 100 billion euro. So, if the central bank um, goes into overdrive because of the pandemic, they will they will create more money, more liquidity. So share prices go up, bond, stock, uh, bond prices go up, et cetera. As a result of that, the stock value of his company doubled in one year. So he gained 100 billion euro in one year. Never in history has one man earned so much in, in one year. And once again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy here. I mean, you, you can't see my cat. I have a beautiful cat over here and I, I, I love my life. But I, I, I can also imagine what you, what you can do with 100 billion euro. So yeah. the, the, the increase in his wealth was 100 billion euro in one year. Um, and he will probably feel some negative effect from central bank intervention, intervention with respect to his uh, currency. But if you put those two together, it, 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 he is definitely a winner here. It's marginal. He won't feel the effects as much. No. So at the end of the day, even if it was implemented... He still wins. Um, yes, the, the so it's, it's, it is a redistribution of wealth from poor to rich, yeah. and it is very weird. Why would you do that? No, no. baffles me as to, to why this has been it baffles me but, as well. But so we've come to this position now where it looks like they want to introduce, or we know they want to introduce a centralized European digital currency. Yeah how is it that they're going to go about it and we've kind of found ourselves almost walking blindly towards this um with the introduction of uh vaccine passport situation so could you maybe take us through how we've come to that point as well well i think that the um that abandoning cash will be a gradual a gradual process mm -hmm. so uh, over time, it will be much harder to use your cash. And you might call that the war on cash. It's very interesting. Um, I just read an article in the Financial Times, but it's a year old now. And I'm, I'm writing a book, so I'm doing this research. So I just came across, stumbled upon this, uh, this old article in the Financial Times. And it said, well, um, considering the risk of cash in spreading viruses, I mean, there's all sorts of viruses and bacteria on, on, on banknotes. So that's not a reason to get rid of them. Well, it turns out to be, it's not true. I mean, viruses, they can't live on that material. Nice. Bacteria can, but viruses cannot. It's, it's a completely different 
biological category. But no, <laughs> the journalist from the Financial Times, he was sure of it. This is time to get rid of cash. And yeah. do you know that terrorists also pay each other in cash? Oh, no, get rid of cash. Yeah, that, that's a war on cash. Um, but uh, a lot of people have cash. I use cash because I think I also think it's a uh, I'm against negative interest rates. So I'm a proponent of cash. Businesses that use this, uh, I, I will pay them in, in cash if they want me to. Uh, but that will be a gradual process. So the, the 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 places where you can pay cash, that that number of places will decrease. Um, and Sorry. after uh, maybe in one, two, or three years, it will become irrelevant. And then the central bank might say, "Well, if you don't use cash anyway," but but banks they also remove all the ATMs, for example. In Amsterdam, uh, what happens every weekend is that's a bunch of criminals. They will blow up an ATM, steal the cash. And then the ATM will not be repaired and replaced. And then they will say, well, if, you, if, if we install a new ATM, uh, they will blow oh up God. that one as well. And that's dangerous for the neighborhood. So let's remove all the cash from the street. And then people actually start protesting. They say, well, yeah, we want to get rid of cash. But they don't know the, the deeper <laughs> implications of it. Yep. So that, that will be a gradual process. So the, the, the removal of the alternative towards accepting uh, Negative interest, but with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I think that will um, you will need to do the same over there, and especially with stablecoin. Um, and I think at a certain point in time, there will be legislation, and it will be forbidden, and it will come with a bang. And people will say, "Well, technically speaking, you can't forbid Bitcoin because that's 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 the whole idea that it is decentralized. So a central government can decentralize." Currency. I think that people in the uh, in our governments right now are thinking of ways of bypassing this, and it isn't so hard because if you if you want to access your Bitcoin wallet, your crypto wallet, you have to use your phone, and you need to download apps and use the internet, etc. And that could be cut off very easily by the central bank or by the government by the central government. Well, this is something that China's tried to do repeatedly in. Yeah banning Bitcoin uh, over there. Now, they have recently um, released, or, well, not recently, but they've also started using more so their digital one. Um, yeah, they, they haven't had much success in permanently uh, blocking the use of Bitcoin. Um, that, that's what a lot of Bitcoiners also tell me. However, I think this is, this is a process. There's something going on over there and, and over here. I mean, these governments aren't too fond of Bitcoin and, and the decentralized uh, aspect of it. And basically what, what's, what's happening with, um, with the process that I just mentioned with the dollar bill and uh, buying a pencil. Pencil, yeah. that In doing so, um, in, in being able to dilute the monetary base, you're redistributing wealth and um, you know, be before we had central banks, um, uh, you had a decentralized Europe, with, especially in Germany. You should read about it. It's called the Kippo and Wippert site. Uh, I, I will send it to you. Mm -hmm. um, and you had all these little princedoms and, uh, and dukes and barons, uh, uh, whatever. 
in a feudal systems and, and Germany was, was fragmented between them, all these tiny states, and they wage war upon each other. Um, and they had, they've come up with a, with a solution and they call it seigneurage. And, it's, um, and it actually means that if you're a government and you, you, you control the money supply and you create more money, that money will be diluted. However, um, so let's say, for example, that you're a company, you're, you're the government, and there's 100 euro in the entirety of society, and you own 50 of them. Then at a certain point in time, you decide to, uh, uh, to dilute the monetary base, so you create another 100 euro. But the economic output of the economy, the economic output is the same. So you create massive inflation. Yeah. And that massive inflation will also hurt your own position. However, um, your, 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 your wealth increased from, from 100 to, to, to 200, and then you get a currency debasement on that. So you still end up being better. Yeah. So you, you have more money, and the money is worth less. But your increase in wealth is bigger than the decrease in the value of your, of your money. And for the people um, that feel the negative effects, because on the short run, it is always a zero-sum game, the people that feel the effects are your own citizens, because they wake up in a world with, uh, with, with, with um, an increased money supply. The money that they have in the pockets has decreased in value, but nobody gave them more euros. So the government has more euros, they have, they've become worth less, but the increase in how much euros they have uh, is much higher. So in the end, they gain, and that's, that's called seigneurage. Yeah. And if you want to take away that principle, and, and the same thing is happening right now, um, it's, um, it is a little bit different than it was in the Middle Ages, because now <laughs> we have digital uh, processes, etc. But But the effect is the same. It's, it is redistribution to the benefit of the central powers. And if you meddle with the money supply, like Bitcoin is doing right now, you are basically hurting, hurting the, um, the opportunities that central governments have with respect to seigneurage, with money creation. Uh, and in doing so, you're actually hurting the, um, um, the one with the monopoly of violence in your economy. In your, in your society. And that, that party will at one point in time become violent and, and remove you. Yeah. And it's, it's, that, that's where we're heading. I mean, look, look at China, for example. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you really think that, that if Bitcoin, which is, and I mean, I, I've, I'm being invited by Bitcoiners all the time, as if I actually know what I'm talking about. But no, I don't. But, uh, I, I know something about the old financial system and what's wrong with it. And the Bitcoin people, and I, I really like them. Uh, they're, they're fresh and they have a nice mentality and um, uh, they invite me all the time. Um, the, if, if these people, if these innovative people become a threat to the, to, to to, the to, for example, the Chinese Communist Party and the way they finance their operations, they will hunt you down. And they're not going to, they're not going to say, oh wow, that, that's an innovation. How nice we love innovation. They only love innovations like uh, bigger tanks, etc., and, and more effective aircraft carriers if it increases the powers uh, that already uh, uh, the, the capability of the, of the powers that already exist. 
Yeah. But they, 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 they will not in, encourage a, a technology that is threatening the, the, the existence of that. No, and in uh, fact, that power. And, and the same will apply to the European Union. And yeah. uh, Macron has said it repeatedly. He, uh, he says, I will not let it happen. I will not let uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency become a threat to our position. And he will act on it. Trust me. I don't doubt that with the way that yeah. things have gone. And I hate uh, to say today. it, I, in, in especially stablecoin, I think that's a fantastic idea um, that would solve all your, all, all your problems. If, if you just have stablecoin, put it, put it that way. So you earn some money, you say, okay, I don't want to have any risk. I just made some money. I'm a construction worker uh, or whatever. Um, you take your money home, you put it on your digital account, and you can spend it later when you think it is wise to spend it. You can save it on something for holiday or for your retirement. And you don't want it, you want to be influenced by inflation, negative interest rates. You don't understand it. You, you don't want to be part of it. Just, I put 100 in, I put, I take out 100 tomorrow, just like that. With stablecoin, you can easily realize that and, and make it possible. But uh, then again, you would remove the powers that the central bank has to, to influence your behavior. So they're not going to allow stablecoin as well. That's going to be crushed. That literally was going to happen in what the next couple of years. Yeah, what you've mentioned there of the powers of the central bank to influence your behaviors. Are you familiar with the uh, Belfast smart city situation with the digital currency that they've produced? Oh, that, that sounds, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to hear it, but tell me. Um, so in, in essence, uh, what they've done in an area of Belfast is they've set up a whole bunch of cameras where they can track people and they've created a um, digital currency. I, f- I forget the name of it. I think I've got it here. Give me one second and I can pull that up. So Civic Dollars. So oh. what they've got in Belfast is something called yeah. civic dollars. And what they're doing with that is they're essentially incentivizing people to go out and earn these dollars. So by things such as going to the park and they've got loads of cameras where they can track, hey, who's there, who's where and what, collecting a whole bunch of data about people's activities so that they can then reward them for positive behaviors that they encourage. And you can currently spend that give that currency away to charity or there are some stores, some shops locally that have signed up to be able to use those coins. So you then have actual monetary usage of these civic dollars. Now, for me, that seems to be the way of a soft introduction for the use of digital currencies and incentivizing people to use them for their own personal gain, Yeah, which from my perspective is also a way that they can manipulate it but mm-hmm. when you hear that <coughs> sure have, yeah yeah w- when you hear something like that does that then not follow in what you've just said about how they can incentivize behavior and control behavior that's exactly what it is it is this is the next step yeah. because if if you have a digital currency anyway and you want to um, incentivize certain behaviors with respect to um, one aspect of life, let's say health. Why don't you go on? I mean, if you can, if you can have a, a coronavirus lockdown, why don't you have a climate lockdown, and then an alcohol lockdown, a liver lockdown? I mean, it's 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 you want to remove the the, the possibilities that people have to to make stupid decisions. 
Mm. Uh, I mean, don't make stupid decisions. I let, let's say that upfront. But the, the idea that 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 you can do that for yourself that is being removed from you, and that's the that I think that is very scary. And Corona is is uh, is the excuse to to implement a lot of tests and things that people would have found unacceptable several years ago. Um, and I think that is very scary. So it's, 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 it's been much faster. So a, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of these ideas have been around for years uh, and now they suddenly pop up and they're being presented as an innovation. You say, well, Arno, don't you think that in the future people in, in 100 years, do you think that people will still pay with paper money? I mean, digital cash is an innovation, right? I mean, well, yeah, but the, the thing is that it is, it is being issued by a central bank that is clearly trying to protect governments and old existing banks that have a solvability issue. I mean, if you just look at the technical aspect of it, I, I would be inclined to say, okay, I trust central bank digital currency, digital currency, I trust it. If it is just that, but behind it, there's the mechanism of redistribution. And you can simply read the annual uh, report of the European Central Bank. And they say the reason why we have to implement central bank digital currency, the cashless society, and all the other things that you described that, that will simply follow, because central ca uh, digital cash is programmable. So what are you going to program? Well, use your imagination. It, it's not going to stop anywhere. There's no, there's no end in sight. <clears throat> the reason why it is being implemented is not because of this desire to be to, to innovate. Hmm. No, <clears throat> it is um, the, the 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 idea to start with digital cash uh, is because you are entering a world with negative interest rates, and you are entering a world with negative interest rates because there's so much debt in the old system that you need to get rid of. And you can only get rid of it um, by using massive central bank intervention. And massive central bank intervention means negative interest rates. That's where it comes from. It, it, it isn't cool or hip or whatever. Oh, look at me. I don't have any cash. Uh, I am the future. No. <laughs> you're, you're, you're actually paying off for, for the legacy assets of those stupid bankers and the greedy bankers and the stupid mistakes that they've made in the past. That's what you're doing. And, and pe people don't, don't see the connection. They, they, they don't understand. And I, I, I really can't understand why they, they, they don't see it. I think they, a lot of people, they just don't want to see it. They say, oh, I have a digital wallet. I'm so hip. Look at me. I'm very cool. Futuristic, isn't it? No. <laughs> you're, you're paving the way for negative interest rates. And negative interest rates are, in effect, uh, taxation without representation. So you're going back into the past. You're attacking your own democracy. That's what you're doing here. I, I, I follow what you're saying. Um, and it, in essence, this element of um, your, your funding, uh, the banks through your digital cash is the reason we're there is they've made these junk investments of buying yes. either the Greek bonds or they've bought up assets that realistically had no wealth and we're just leaking money anyway and they've yeah. had to do that in order to pass the money on to the governments the governments have then squandered the money in whatever way yes. that they've done and now we're hitting this point that it's 
it what you're describing or i feel where you're going towards is that they're trying to implement a reset in the monetary situation so yes. that they can wipe out their own debts that they've created exactly as if they try to wipe that debt out through the creation of more currency although the maths initially might add up to hey if we're 100 mil in debt we print another 100 mil then we're we're out right no that's not the way currency works they would just keep digging a deeper hole yeah. so instead they have to find this new way to overcome this this debt situation that they have hence why we are where we are with the potential creation of these digital currencies right that's it that's exactly what's happening and if you want to do if you want to have a good reset a a uh reset that benefits the people that benefits, benefits the, the people power. exactly and the, the, the economy as a whole then you must get rid of your uh, uh of, of the old debts of the legacy assets as ben call it but if you want to do that you also have to wipe out a lot of assets i mean like i said a balance sheet it's uh <clears throat> there's, there's assets and there's liabilities if you want to get rid of these liabilities some some assets will have to be um, written down as well I mean, if you, if you look at Dutch cities, for example, they, they have a lot of uh, mortgage debt. If you want to decrease that, um, so if, if, if you live in a house with a mortgage, and you say, well, house prices are ridiculously high, um, let's half them, for example, then your mortgage would also be halved. But your, your mortgage, the debt that you have if you own a home with a mortgage, is an asset for the bank. I mean, if you owe the bank money, it is a debt for you, but it is an, a possession, an asset for the bank. If you, if you reduce all these mortgages, then these banks will lose money. And as a result, the stock owners will also lose money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that would be a real reset. If you would deflate the economy, if you would re release air out of the bubble, um, then the economy would be sound again. And if you would do that, then I would believe that digitalization might be a good thing. Because then it would be digita digitalization for the sake of becoming more efficient and maybe more environmentally friendly, uh, etc. But right now, the, the uh, digitalization, as we see it right now, and you can simply find it in the Central Bank Annual Report, digitalization as it is right now is a means of redistribution, of getting rid of the old debts, um, without hurting the ones who hold the debt at this very moment. And I'm, I'm very much a proponent of the idea that if you're a banker and you made a, a certain risky decision, uh, you must uh, bear the consequences. And I understand why banks will go, uh, go out and lobby with gov governments and the central bank and say, hey, why don't you buy my, uh, my legacy assets? I understand why you would do that as a banker, but a society, a society should be Shouldn't, shouldn't let that happen. They, sh they should revolt, literally. I mean, how, how can you be so blind and how can you be so stupid for, for people to simply accept this and see it as an improvement? Here we've sort of come pretty much full circle to, to the initial question of the 2008 financial crisis in, in, in essence, where governments were bailing out the banks who'd made yeah. these stupid purchases, who'd, who'd created exactly. these stupid mortgages, right? And uh, was it Norway that went a different way about um, resolving the crisis? Where yeah, and Sweden as well. Sweden. And, and they, they've, they've done it previously. It? They've done it in a previous uh, credit crisis that, that bears a lot of resemblances to the one we are in right now and the one we had in 2008. They had a, 
a housing crisis, the Scandinavian housing crisis in the early 90s. What happened was, and it's very similar, like I said, to what we have right now, the Japanese central bank um, was heading for a recession, started printing money. And at the same time, um, the, the, the mortgage markets, housing markets in Scandinavia was being liberalized. So it became easy to attract foreign investment. So what happened is that banks in, let's say, Sweden, <clears throat> they could get financing, very cheap financing in, uh, in Japan and fuel a housing bubble in, in Sweden because the Japanese economy is massive. So if, if once they start printing money uh, and it goes to the left and the right through little cracks uh, in the wall and a smaller country starts to absorb that cash, then you'll get a, a housing bubble very easily. It's very easy to understand why it happens. And what they did, they um, when that happened, is that they let the, the banking sector basically collapse. So they nationalized all the banks. They did a quick reset, uh, which was very painful, just a haircut. They said, hold on, everybody. We have a big problem with our money supply. So there's something wrong with our financial system. Um, we, we will sanitize the banks. We will remove the crappy assets. The bankers that have caused the most harm will go to jail. Uh, everybody that owns stock in this bank will lose the value of their money. I mean, it's your bank, right? So it's, it's your fault. <laughs> and then, they, um, then they, they send these banks back to the market and they, they privatize them again. And the funny thing is that once you, uh, if you think about it, the, the previous credit crisis in Europe, it was a, a double-edged sword. It was a combination of an American Supply mortgage crime crisis and a European sovereign debt crisis. It, it came at the same time. So several banks they had to deal with uh, local customers that couldn't pay off that mortgage debt, while they also were afraid that they had to write down on their sovereign holdings in Southern Europe. Um, and if you look at the Scandinavian banks, they had to do all these reports. There were crisis meetings with the central bank and the government and whatever. Um, I mean, do, do, do you know the book uh, Too Big to Fail? Uh, I've not read it yet. It's on my, uh, yeah, it's on you my bed. Absolutely, you should absolutely buy it. It, it describes what happens when, when these bankers in the United States, when they actually realize that they have a problem. What happens is that you, you have the, the, the secretary, the, the treasurer, um, Hank Paulson. Um, he understand that, understands that Lehman Brothers is going to uh, collapse. Yep. Um, so he has the, the CEO from Lehman Brothers on his, at his table. And he said, you know what, I'm going to, have, have you asked the other bankers for help? And he said, well, yeah, but they said this old grudges and whatever. And they said, no, they're not going to help me. Okay, watch me. Uh, so Hank Paulson, he calls all the other CEOs from these banks. And I wanted, he says, I want to have you here in five minutes. And say, well, I can't be there in five minutes. I mean, I will have to take my limousine right through Central Park. I can't do that, right? Yes, you can. <laughs> five you minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he, then he had him in five minutes and nobody turned out to be willing to, to help. Uh, Dick Fult, his name was the CEO from Lehman Brothers. Yep. He said, well, no, nobody is going to help you. And then they realized that Lehman Brothers before, and then they started talking among, among each other. By the way, do you own stock from Lehman Brothers? And do you have some of their debts? And then they understood that they were all interconnected. And if Lehman Brothers would fall, that they, will, they would all suffer. And that's the official start of the credit crisis. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, other central banks and governments have followed this example. So it's, it's literally the, the treasurer and all the CEOs around the table, and they collectively 
discover that they have a problem. And they did the same in, in, in Sweden. So the, the Swedish Central Bank and uh, the treasurer, they, they also called all these bank CEOs. Said, we, we, we have a credit crisis. We need you here. We need you right now. How much um, mortgage uh, backed securities do you have? Well, zero. <laughs> we don't do that. Hmm. Because why, why wouldn't they do that? They knew that if you engage in these very dangerous activities and it's the deal turns sour, that the government is, is simply going to let you rot. Yeah. And that's excellent. <laughs> and then you had the same situation a few years later with the European sovereign debt crisis, which would have erupted anyway. A lot of pro-European integration people, they blame the American bankers. They said, well, right until... Uh, Lehman Brothers fell, there was nothing wrong. Well, that, that, that isn't true. If you, if you look at the government statistics from, for example, Italy and Greece, that debt position, it, it was already exploding. And everybody was wondering, okay, how, what is going to be the trigger for the collapse? But it is unsustainable anyway. So, okay. Um, but then they had a similar meeting and they said, okay, uh, do you, do you uh, happen to have uh, in, in Sweden... Uh, the banks was, do you, do you own any uh, Southern European uh, sovereign debt paper, which is very risky? And then once again, these local banks said, no, we don't. We don't own that because we know it is dangerous. <laughs> and if it explodes, it will explode in our faces. Yeah. And that's the whole problem with the Eurozone. The, the Eurozone, they accepted a, a number of nations that were basically bankrupt before they entered the Eurozone. And as a result, they weren't allowed to, to enter the Eurozone in the first place. And these rules were broken. So from, from day one that the Euro existed, it was very clear that it is a... 60% it is a, or something? It, it is, right? 60% or something, wasn't it? Their, their yes. debt level. Yeah. A lot of countries, they simply, they either they, they broke the rules on entering or started breaking the rules right after. And when, when the bank saw that, they said, hey, wait a minute, this, 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 this isn't a currency union based on rules uh, and morality, et cetera. This is, this is what you can organize. It, it is a hustling, a hustler union. That's what yeah. the Eurozone is. You should be able to make some hustle, hustles uh, around. Then you can break laws, you will get away with it, and you get some government funding, the ECB will help you out or whatever. You, you can hustle your shit together. It's, you, you don't really have to behave. And once you start a currency union like that, it, it, will, it will turn into one giant mess. And right, we should have done it like the, what, what Sweden and Norway did, and to a lesser extent Denmark and Finland. And you should let your banking sector collapse with a, with a terrifically, with a terrifyingly loud bang. And it will cause a recession in the short run. And it will, it, it will hurt. Let, let, let's be honest here. It will hurt. But right in the second year of your recession, everybody knows that all the fungus has been removed from your financial system. And that will create trust. And that will make sure that people become willing to invest again. There's no reason for you to hold back your desire to invest in a startup or, or, or in, in whatever, uh, because you know that the system has been purified. And the, the Scandinavian countries, economically, they may be the, the best performers in the world. And they don't 
they don't have the euro. It's, it's very interesting. If you looked, the most successful nations in, in Europe, they don't, have, they don't have the euro. So you, you don't need the euro to be successful. And because the, the euro became a hustler currency, <laughs> uh, it is actually detrimental to the performance of your economy. I, th I think also the Netherlands should leave it. And, but that, that, that's the way you should do it. If you have a situation where your banks are unstable because they've piled up all this, this odorous excrement on the balance sheet. Yeah. Well, it's junk um, assets. It's junk. Get rid of the junk. Call the, uh, uh, the exterminator. You, sh you should uh, treat it like you have a, a pest like cockroaches or whatever. Um, so if you we call have... the exterminator, you clean your house, yeah. and you, 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 you do it the hard way. So you have to stay somewhere else for two, two or three weeks. But when you come back, you come back to a clean house and you can start over. And that, that's what Europe needs to do. Um, Is that not possible for us still to do? I mean, um, you know, is it too late for us to try to implement that kind of methodology? Absolutely. You, 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 can, you can still do it. But uh, a lot of steps are being taken in the opposite direction, which is the autocratic direction in which you harm certain democratic principles where you also harm the, the, the financial position of ordinary people, even like nurses. <laughs> I mean, nurses, they don't, they had the, the, the healthcare heroes, they, they don't get an increase in their wage. However, they do feel the effects of these, this inflation that we mentioned. <clears throat> so in real terms, their real income is decreasing. <laughs> yeah. No, we have to do this for the healthcare heroes. Well, you're actually hurting them. <laughs> that's, that's why they're running away. And that's why there's a shortage of healthcare workers around the world, but especially in the Netherlands. And it's interesting how those people don't seem to... Uh, uh, Acknowledge. See, 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 see that connection it's uh, how can you not see it but you, you can still do it um, and you, you need to do it I think suddenly so you need to have a new government that understands the gravity of the situation uh, but what's happening right now and what we're, what we're sliding into is the opposite and that is a, a digital currency union and in a digital currency union you have negative interest rates and that is a wealth tax and the tax on your savings. So hardworking people, they have some savings. You tax them without them being able to exert any democratic control on where it's being spent. And the place where it is being spent is, um, is resolving the legacy assets from banks that are being owned by very rich people. Yeah. It, is, it is theft. It is, it is, it is, it's, I can't comprehend why, why all these young progressive people that are actually in favor of digitalization on the European scale they say, oh, it's so cool, it's so hip. Like what you say in Belfast, I will, I will go there and I will check it out. I'll see what, what it looks like. How can you be in favor of that? How can, how can you not see what's happening here? It is not cool and it is not hip. <laughs> it is expropriation. I think there's an element of, of, because it's technology, it's just assumed to be for the betterment of society and for the betterment of the people. And we've already yes, spoken that's, about that. Yes, that's it, exactly. That's how a lot of people think. Um, and and yeah, you get these incentives. Uh, the, the people think that, you know, by walking to the park, I'm earning money. This is like super easy. Why doesn't everyone just do this? However, no, it's, it's weird. Why, why don't you it? understand that it's weird? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's following, following you. It's creepy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, the... the the more insidious part of it is 
once they can start incentivizing, they can also start disincentivizing what they've done in China, essentially with the social credit scoring system. Yeah. They've got, they're now implementing their digital currency and they've already got a way in which they can decide good or bad behaviors are awarded, be that yes. financially or a lack of financial ability to even buy a bus ticket. However, yeah. you know, um, you've been around the sun a couple more times than me. Um, someone might say that, hey, Arno, are you just averse to to change you know once upon a time people were against the auto uh, uh, automation of industry as well and how that would cause a loss of jobs and how that would cause an issue and yet here we are uh post automation and you know things are still surviving things are still thriving what would you say to someone that just says yeah it, it you're kind of blowing smoke well the, the thing is you, you have to there's the discrepancy between um automation and innovation that is being started by people, by entrepreneurs or by governments and banks that have a double agenda. I mean, vested interest. In an vested outcome. interest, absolutely. There's a, there's a difference there. And if you, uh, f- for example, my, my parents are from South Africa. They came to the Netherlands. They were not allowed to, uh, to marry over there. Um, you had a certain system there until the 80s. And my father used to give computer lessons in the early 80s. So he was, we lived in a small village and he was one of the first people to own a computer and to help in automation. And what actually happened is that businesses around even factories, this was the very start of automation. Uh, they became much more efficient because planning was easier. You, you used the computational power of the computer to, uh, to, to make better decisions, yeah. Excel sheets, uh, you, you name it. Instead of writing letters, you print them. I mean, that, that's good because then you have one entrepreneur and he, he goes around talking to other entrepreneurs and together they look for smart solutions. That, that's, that's, that, is, that, that is automization in the entrepreneurial uh, form. But that, that's, that's completely different from a government wanting to track your every movement. I mean, that's obviously not the same, right? That's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I, I'm. That's I'm it's, you. It, is, it is it is not. Then I have these people. They 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 come to me as well. They say, okay, you're 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 against uh, digital currency, uh, but said your father used to be uh, in automation as well. Are you against his work as well? Do, do do you also write all your papers with your by hand? That's how they they mock me with an ink quill with a little exactly uh, tub to tub. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this just so happens to be his. That's a coincidence, but. No, that, that's that's it's you need to see the, the 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 starting point. The starting point is: is it a local entrepreneur or is it a government? And if you want to distinguish distinguish between governments, the Chinese Communist Party is the most most lethal, ruthless, repressing, killing machine in the history of mankind. The Chinese Communist Party has killed over seventy million people, yep. mainly their own people. Um, and if they come up with something well. that isn't cool and hip, if they want to have cameras to track to check to track your every movement, and to to couple that to to your um, um, your online identity and incentivize certain behaviors, that is creepy. I, I very I, I've not seldomly I've compared the Chinese Communist Party to Hitler winning the Second World War. And then people say, oh, that's offensive. I say, well, that is offensive towards Hitler because the Chinese Communist Party was far more lethal. I mean, 
just accept it for what it is. It is a repressive regime. I, I have nothing against individual Chinese people, just like I don't have anything against, I don't hold a grudge against any German people. Uh, but China is a dictatorship. It is a country captured by a certain dictatorship. And there are other countries as well. I mean, uh, like Burma or North Korea. And I feel very sorry for these people. And I think we should help refugees escaping those, those, those countries. And, re- and countries that are standing up against uh, such a regime should be helped. Absolutely. Uh, but if, if a certain regime like that, one of those regimes that's obviously banned from a surveillance state, if they start doing something with digital technology, <laughs> and that's, <laughs> then you shouldn't look at the digital part. Oh, digital, cool, it's so hip. <laughs> no, you should look at the, the instigator, and the instigator is an oppressive regime. Mm. And if you embrace that technology, you, um, you embrace repressive regimes in general. That's what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this digitalization of the, the currency, um, and you've mentioned it but we've not touched on it too heavily as to where it is that this is written down um, that people can also go find it themselves. This isn't just Sonny and Arno talking of no. a make-believe factual, uh, a, a make-believe situation. This is something that's written down in black and white for, for people to find, right? This desire to create this centralized digital mm-hmm. currency and this desire of also the individual nations. Um, I think it's Rishi Sunak, the... A uh, chap from the UK who's talked about creating a, a British uh, digital currency as well. So, where can people find that this actually is a thing that's being spoken about in European Parliament or? Oh yes, I will. Um, what I can do, I, I will make you. Um, I've, I've written. I will translate it into English, um, but I will send it to you. You can easily um, upload it with this. Yeah, upload yeah. it with this video, and then people can use Google Translate. But what what I've done, I've used hyperlinks to mainly English articles, like to the central bank, etc. Exactly. And at That's a certain point was, in time, yeah, I just came across, it is, it's very simple, but you can also uh, Google European Central Bank Digital Currency. And then you will come across uh, a European Central Bank Digital Currency Report. That's what it's called, 2018. And there they said, wait a minute, uh, we have a zero lower bound problem because uh, the interest rate is dropping below zero. That's where it started. I mean, the, the idea of being able to, uh, to issue digital cash, the, the technology already exists. You, you could have done it years ago, but people didn't feel the need. You couldn't explain to people. The moment when they started talking about this, and with them, I mean, the European Central Bank, Mr. Panetta and... Uh, uh, and the director of the Bank of International Settlements, Mr. Karsten, the moment when they started talking about this is when the interest rate went below zero. That's when they discovered, hey, wait a minute, we have a zero lower bound with respect to us being able to incentivize people to do what we want. That is the, the monetary policy transmission problem. Okay, we want something, we build an in- incentive but hey, thanks to cash, there's actually a way for you to escape. <coughs> Excuse me. How do we address it? How do we um, prevent people from escaping the incentive that we create? Central bank digital currency. 
that is where the digitalization came from. Hmm. It is not as if somebody says some cool hip kid with a startup startup uh, uh, office, uh, orange hair, um, um, and how uh, you and a table. Uh, at the table soccer <laughs> and at his oh, office, etc. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and soy latte macchiatos. <laughs> some, some startup kid invented, hey, wait a minute, we can do something digital. No, 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 no. It was banks. Banks were calling the central banks and said, hey, wait a minute, you're go- still going to bail us out, out, right? With printed money. Yes, but if you want to print money, we need to keep the interest rate low and we are hitting rock bottom because there's a zero lower bound. That's, what, that's how it happens. There's nothing cool hip about it and you can simply go to the website of the central bank european central bank and the bank of international settlements you google or you, you look for central bank digital currency uh you sort not by relevance but but by uh, uh oldest first and then you then it's all there if, if you don't see it uh like, like i said I, I will give you a short list with uh, hyperlinks to those websites if people don't trust me uh, but if you don't see it, then with, with all the evidence in your face, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you still don't see it, you don't want to believe it. And if you present this evidence to people, and it's maybe also a nice tip to your uh, viewers, I don't know how many viewers you have. Um, but if, if, if they've been able to, to make it to this point in our, in our video, um, the thing is that if you present people with this evidence, and it is very, very hard, and they still don't believe you, uh, don't waste any time in convincing them Mm. because they will never believe you. It is right in front of their faces then, but they still don't. It literally says so. Yeah, yeah. This is a point. We need a cashless society Yeah, because of the zero lower bound problem. This is somewhere I was hoping that we'd come to um, a little bit earlier in the conversation. So I'm I'm going to... reissue a question i gave to you earlier and, okay uh, hopefully on, on the yes. back of this um we'll we'll get a little bit more to the direction i was thinking we we sort of took a left turn when i wanted to say, when i was hoping we take a right with it um so th- they've spoken about wanting to get this digital currency we've established now where this is written where people can find it so there's yeah. actual basis for this and they've also mentioned different ways of how they can force the implementation of the digital currency and force the uptake from the common folk, people uh, such as you and I, um, uh, uh, how we can get them from uh, to not necessarily stop using the cash, but create a mechanism by which we naturally start using this digital format. Um, and there is a... a um, a sort of step that can be taken between the introduction of mm-hmm. vaccine passport situation and the combination of that it, with banking apps such as the Dutch banking app uh, that they've created in uh, with ING Helena, where they link your banking yeah. app to your health passport. And Belgium have already done this as well, linking your health passport to your banking app. So this thanks, combination- thanks for telling this to me because it was my article. No, I, for, I know, I know. I, I'm not saying that I'm telling you, but for <laughs> okay, my listeners, if they're not familiar with your, your work, yeah. this, this was where I was hoping you would pick that question up and go towards. 
Could you expand on on that for us? As I well, I that, that's this the, is also that's... something that's super interesting. Like you said, that if people don't want to want to believe it, there's all this evidence that's that's there for people to see. So I was hoping that you you pick up on what I was referring to in the initial question. Um, oh well, but, oh well. Yeah. What, what yes? What's yeah. the, the the basic idea? And once again, if people don't trust me, go to Google and Google Eidos Directive, E I D A S. ADOS directive, and it means that by June the 2nd, 2022, there will be a Eurozone, European-wide social security number, and everybody will be issued a digital identity wallet. Uh, Brits living in the the European Union, like uh, some physiotherapist in Zandvoort, uh, living in the Netherlands, for example, he can use one as well. That's how they put it. You're also eligible to, to receiving a digital identity wallet. Yeah. And all the aspects of your identity will be put into one convenient app. That's basically it. And, um, and it's your driving license, your, um, I mean, your physiotherapist. So you have diplomas, etc. You can upload them there as well. Uh, what do I have? My banking cards. I, my wallet is in front of me, as you can imagine. Uh, driver license, um, gym. I, I, oh, look at all. Oh, wait a minute. This is an easy way for, for, for commercial for the European. Uh, <laughs> look, look at all these cards. If yeah. I could just make them digital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically it. Pe- people can extract this portion, this part of the uh, of my interview. Um, there's a certain amount of some problems with it because if your banking account becomes completely digital, like we just mentioned, the uh, abolishing cash uh, discussion, etc., uh, that will yield negative interest rates and rates, and that will work against you. So if you say no, I don't, I just want to u- keep using cash because you can't levy interest rates on cash that's in my pocket. Mm. That makes it much more solid than digital money. Um, that's one big reason not to, to go along with this. The other thing is that um, if all these uh, aspects are... Uh, no, let's first tell more about uh, the ADOS directive. What it says is that the that, a, that an average human or all human beings, like you, like Sunny, with your digi- European digital identity wallet in a few months, you are a person with attributes. attributes. There, there are things that define you. Um, and it is your age, your gender, uh, um, your marital status, uh, whatever. There's a number of things that define you, but also your social media profiles, uh, your, your banking number. It's also a unique, unique uh, number that can be coupled to your uh, European, uh, your, your newly built digital uh, social security number, etc. And when when the time is needed, when it's needed, you can actually only show some of the attributes that are relevant at a certain point in time. That's how they phrase it. People can go to just Google ADOS directive and look for article six and article 11, and it's all there. Very simple, very easy to find. Um, And it means that in the future, if you need to uh, identify yourself, for example, when you're renting a car abroad, um, you, you shouldn't be forced to show all your personal data that you don't want to show you must be in control hmm. you must you must have a sovereign identity that that's how they call it yeah 
so if, if you're renting a car and you feel very insecure about your gender, for example, I mean, if I look at my driver license, it says that I'm a male. Well, maybe that's, maybe it hurts me because I, I, don't, I don't believe in the binary world. So uh, I want my European digital identity, that's how they phrase it, to be able to only prove that I'm older than 18 years. Otherwise, obviously, you, you couldn't have a driver license. So that's all the information that a rental company needs. It's that simple. Uh, my, uh, the, the, the rental company, they will have an app that will create a QR code. Um, and that QR code will only ask for my relevant data, which is, have I ever been convicted for drunken driving? And am I over 18 years old? Uh, those data will be passed on to the rental company and then they will issue me with the car. Uh, and if I don't pay or I steal it or whatever, they still know who I am. Uh, and they can track me down or have the police track me down, et cetera. That, that's the idea of the digital identity wallet. And the European Commission says, well, it's very convenient because you don't, you don't need to carry this with you all the time. Uh, and it's cheaper and more efficient. It's more environmental friendly because you don't have to carry plastic anymore. And if it's the plastic soup in the ocean. <coughs> the plastic soup in the ocean is not banking cards. Uh, it's something else, obviously. Something else, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, that, but that, that's how it's being phrased. And um, then, you, then you go towards a digital identity. That's right. And it's also coupled to your uh, social media accounts. And the, 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 the Corona pass that we have in the Netherlands. So you can, also, you can only enter a bar if you have shown your uh, QR code hmm. that's actu actually completely compliant with the philosophy and the technology and the legal requirements of your European digital identity wallet. Yep. Because if you go to a bar and you show your, um, uh, your QR code, you are only proving that you have been vaccinated or recently recovered, but the QR code doesn't reveal your gender or your age, for example. So being vaccinated or not is an attribute of your identity an attribute that you're actually showing at that particular moment in time. And at other moments, like when you're renting a car, other attributes might be relevant. Um, so this QR code, this Corona app pass, it's, it's completely in line with the idea of a future digital identity. And interestingly enough, in the Netherlands, what we see now is that the number of people who urgently need healthcare because of the, the, the pandemic, it is dropping drastically, which is good news yeah. for, 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 uh, for people that might otherwise have fallen sick for their families, for the healthcare workers, because they get some relief. That's good news. I mean, less people in the hospital, people are becoming more healthy. That is what you want, right? That's, that's a result of this Omicron variant. It's, it's, uh, it's, not really, it's not making you really, really sick. That's good news. Our government is investing 30 million in improving the pandemic app. That doesn't make any sense, right? Mm, I mean, if, if the pandemic better, is waiting, yeah. why would you in um, yeah. I mean if, if and if you really care about healthcare, why don't you give money to nurses? Yeah. I mean, in, invest in their salaries. If you go to ask people, I, I'm a journalist, I do that all the time. I call people, I ask them what, what is the biggest issue right now in, in hospitals? And they say, um, uh, there's, there's so few people, so, so few nurses 
that doctors have to do the nurses' work as well. Uh, and nurses simply can't afford to work. I mean, if you're a nurse and you want to move to Amsterdam or the vicinity here, you can't find a decent home uh, with your salary, so you don't move at all. Uh, and there's no staff. That, that's, the, that's the whole issue. Hmm. And that's not being addressed, absurdly enough. But what they do invest money is 30 million euro is in um, improving the corona app for yeah. a pandemic that is waning. And when you, when you see that happening, then you know one thing, then you know that this corona app has nothing to do with the pandemic. This is a digital passport that was planned, planned anyway. And the idea that uh, bars and restaurants, uh, the industry, as you call it, I believe in the UK, in, in the Netherlands, we call it uh, horeca, hotels, restaurants, cafes, horeca. The hospitality industry. Yeah, hospitality yeah, yeah. industry, the industry, right. Um, the idea that they should be a, the guinea pig, <laughs> this, it was decided uh, in late 2019, right before the pandemic, oh. because they were building all these apps anyway, and the, I've spoken to a number of government officials that were doing this. So they received a, a European directive. Thou shall build a uh, identity app. Um, and they were building it with a QR code. And I have all the documentation. There's a little movie about it, how it will work in the future. Hey, you have to present a QR app before you enter a nightclub, et cetera, et cetera. It's all there. It's all before the pandemic. And um, then there's this... Um, Identity magazine, and it's not identity in the woke sense of the word, but uh, there's, there's actually a magazine for, for people that work in the passport industry with the technology, etc. They have their own magazine, hardly anybody reads it. And in 2019, a director from the, uh, from the Dutch agency that issues passports says, by summer 2020, we will start a massive testing campaign within the uh, hospitality industry to make sure that people get used to identifying themselves with their phones when they enter a bar. So and we will also um, start this test when people travel. So not for schools, not for healthcare and other places where people congregate. No, specifically the, the hospitality industry and traveling. That's when people should get used to using their uh, QR code. But there would never have been a decent explanation to Dutch people for that. I mean, right. like I just said in recently in a, in a Dutch podcast, if, if there's a bar in Amsterdam where I've been coming for years and the, the people behind the bar, they know me and I want to play some pool. I mean, that actually is a place. I, if you're good at pool... Uh, we should do it. I invite you. <laughs> we should do that sometime. Yeah, yeah. I'm up I mean, for it. Yeah, yeah. From, from now on, I have to, when I enter the bar, people say, hey, hey, that's Arno Wellens. We know his face. Yeah. Hi. And then from now on, I have to pre present, present my phone. And I say, hey, wait a minute. There's actually a, a QR code. And now you know who I am. <laughs> they, they would have said, shut up and sit down. We know who you are, you <laughs> silly man. That's, we don't need your QR code. I mean, in, in, in that setting where I know when people know me for years. Yeah. What, what would have been the, the, the value, added value of, of the QR app? Mm. Nothing. It, it doesn't improve anything. And everybody would have broken it anyway. Nobody would have participated in the test. That's not how Dutch people are. You know them. Yeah. You live in the Netherlands. You know, when, when you go to a bar, you go to several others and you talk to people and you move about. That is a free society. Mm. You go where you want to go. 
okay, I've had my dinner. Oh, maybe I want to go to a club or I don't or whatever. You don't identify yourself with a European scheme all the time because of the IDAS directive. You, you don't do that. That's, that's not Dutch or European or British or whatever. That's not how it works. But they said, well, whatever we are going in the summer of 2020, we are going to start with tests regardlessly. And there was no way how to, like I said, how they could um, motivate people to participate. And then the pandemic came and then they had a reason. And that's yeah. why, and what I always say is that that's why you have all these cons- conspiracy theories that and a lot of them are indeed absurd and, and extremist and whatever. But if, you, if you're a government and you're doing something that's ridiculous, then you're inviting people to create to, ridiculous to, theories. To, to, to making alternative uh, uh, explanations for, for themselves. I mean, if you say, well, because of the pandemic, we are building a QR app. The pandemic is waning, so we'll start investing more in the app that we don't we want to abolish anyway. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, to people, and that's like I say, that's that's why they become to success to success uh, susceptible to um, alternative views. But the, the the correct view and the correct story is that the European Commission and even the Dutch government they agree with this, but the majority of the Dutch people don't. Um, our political elites want to have a digital passport. That's what this is all about. Yeah, and it's what you've what we've already touched on with the Belfast situation, and yes. um, what you've mentioned there. It's it's conditioning behavior. It's conditioning acceptance to yes. be able to do it's this. testing the, and the, the yeah experiment is to it's experiment. How do people respond to it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and that's how this digitalization is encroaching in your life and we should resist it because if if these uh, what they also do is they want to use bitcoin technology so blockchain technology which means that data collected on you that is being stored in this app will never go away that's the ugliness of the blockchain technology blockchain should have never been used for this the whole idea of blockchain is that it is decentralized sounds cool right decentralized well <laughs> But what you need one central access point to 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 gain to 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 have yeah. use over your own over your own data, yeah. um, and, and and that's very dangerous. So in in, um, in a normal situation, for example, the the, the, the example that we had with the uh, with the pens and a fifty dollar bill, I hope I didn't lose it. Ah, oh, here it is. Also, also have a twenty. Let's say we, we we do the same again. So we we do a transaction. Um, and then later on, somebody might say, well, you didn't pay me my 20 bucks. And this guy might say, well, we never agreed upon 20 bucks. And that, that's the whole problem. If, if one transaction is recorded in two different places and one of these people might disagree, um, um, then you might get fraud or, uh, or legal conflicts or whatever. But if there's a third and a fourth and a fifth place where this transaction is recorded and you only change or manipulate data at one certain point in time, it becomes very obviously that that certain point has been manipulated and where the fault or the fraud or whatever uh, lies. Mm. That's the idea of blockchain. I mean, it is a chain of blocks. So data on, uh, on transactions will be repeated over time. And that's why you get a ledger of all the previous usages, <coughs> all the previous um, 
uh, transactions with re regard to a, a currency like blockchain or my asset or whatever. But if you use this technology or this approach on your personal data, then everything you do will be stored at different places. And if you want to get rid of this digital society um, that keeps track of every single movement of yours, and it will, be, it will be very hard to do so. You'll literally have to burn down all these data centers with all the cute uh, kitty uh, pictures in them as well, which yeah. you find on Facebook. Um, but that, that's what's going on in, in, these, in these data centers. So you, there's, <coughs> excuse me, you'll get a um, digital version of yourself um, using blockchain. So when you travel, for example, or you use your app to identify yourself or you do a financial transaction or whatever, it will be stored in the cloud uh, forever. Um, these data can be used, uh, mined, whatever, um, for, for use, for, for, for ways that you disapprove of. But how can you tell what's happening with your data when you don't know where your data is anyway? Um, and there's, there's no physical need for it. It was never as if Ordinary Dutch people, for example, said, "Hey, you don't. My life is pretty, pretty okay. I, I have a wife and a, and a child, and uh, oh, I love my cat. Um, just painted my stairs. My life is okayish, but what I need is a digital identity wallet. Nobody yeah. ever asked for it. it. It was it was an idea created by bureaucrats, and they forced it upon people. Uh, and others, other governments followed suit." And those are also the governments that are very repressive with respect to uh, corona measurements, like Canada, Australia, hmm. New Zealand, um, to, the, to a lesser extent, the UK. Um, but that, that, that's what this is all about. We're creating a digital identity. Uh, people say it's convenient because your data is stored in one place. Yeah, but if I don't want my data to be stored in one place, because it also becomes vulnerable, or at least... You have one access point to all your data, which is your app. And then your, your data will be assembled throughout the cloud. That's how the system actually works. If you don't want that, because having all your data through one access point is extremely risky with mm. respect to hacking and other forms of crime, we, 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 are, we are incentivizing crime in a, in a, in a colossal, in a, in a historical way. I mean, it's, it's like in the movie, The Matrix. We yeah. will see new forms of crime that have never been existed before and that governments will have no control over of how to combat it. I mean, that's what people always say. They say, okay, oh, we must be very much afraid of uh, Russian tanks. So we must become one Europe and everything must be bigger. So we, we don't want individual countries to have... Um, one passport or one currency or whatever. No, no, we need to pile it all together because only then can we stand up against Mr. Putin's tanks. The thing is, it, it, if you make a system bigger, it looks more robust and stronger, but it isn't. Bigger systems become more unstable because there are, there are more... Moving uh, parts. There are more relations, internal relations that might conflict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three people... Can have, can have an argument over two or three uh, issues. But 
But if you put 1,000 people together, <laughs> there are many hundreds of, of, of conflicts that might arise. A little bit more of um, whatever the issue you, you can name it, you, you can invent it, and that, that's why bigger systems become more 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 complex and hence more more vulnerable to hacking. Yeah, I mean, previously, if you would have been able to hack Bulgaria's healthcare system, you would have had access to uh, how many people does Bulgaria have? Eight or nine million to their medical health data. But if all Europeans use the same template. The one who has hacked the Bulgarian health, uh, the medical health uh, record system, so the electronic uh, health record system, you, you have hacked them all. Mm. So, so you you can use that to extort everybody. Um, Five hundred million people. That's what you're doing. You're making the European Union and the people. You're making them weaker. You're, you're you're effectively hurting the interests of your own people, in order to unite them. That is that is really one weird ideology. <laughs> yeah. It becomes yeah, sorry for too that. much. No, no, no. It, it it just becomes too inherently unstable when you export this across multiple nations. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it, it, it is horrible. And if people in yeah. Canada or Australia are lo looking at this, um, but also Denmark, which doesn't have the euro, and Norway, which is outside of the eurozone and the European Union. Uh, if non-English speakers, uh, non-English speaking, or English speaking nations are, are seeing this, but non-European, non-European uh, Union nations, um, th this is evil. This is pure evil. Mm. I mean, let's put it this way. Um, the doorbell rings. There's a police officer, a male, male police officer. And the male police officer says, well, you know what? I need to lie in bed with your wife. But trust me, I won't do anything because I've never abused my Power. powers with that regard. I've never cheated, whatever. Would, would you let it happen? Would you let him sleep next to you? It's going Why to be not? a no from me. Has it, has it ever... <laughs> when was the last time that your wife cheated with a policeman? I can't say it's ever happened. I'm just assuming that is... I, I don't know. I know of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last week, I don't know. Okay, obviously ne never. The, the, the thing that a certain risk that it has never happened doesn't mean that you should play with that risk. Yeah. It's, there has never been an incident because you took precautionary measures against the incident. That doesn't mean that you should not be afraid. Yeah. Um, the, the risk but probably it's, if, if you give somebody the opportunity to, to abuse your trust, then you must be prepared for that person to starting to more and more abuse that trust. Or put it more simply, if, if you go to a zoo, I, I was there recently and I wanted with somebody, it's, we said, if the jaguar would escape, um, I mean, if you go to a zoo, you see a jaguar, it doesn't look that impressive. But I was wondering, what, what would happen if the jaguar escaped and he would attack one of your best, your best biggest MMA fighters that you have in your country? Like Bader Hari, he's probably the best in the Netherlands, or Rico Verhoeven. I mean, Rico Verhoeven and Badahari, they look a lot more impressive than Jaguar. What would happen? You were fantasizing about it. Uh, I, I thought that the win. kickboxer yeah. would win, but actually, it will, we'll have one. kickboxer burger for the, for the Jaguar. Yeah. It, 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 this animal is so strong, you don't believe it. But yeah. people might say, such fear mongering. It, 
nothing has ever happened. No, because there's a wall between you and a jaguar. <laughs> it is one gangster of an animal. And what people are doing right now is that they say, well, all these dangers are around the corner. Possibly, yes. People, experts are warning against excessive uh, digitalization, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, but we've never seen it going wrong. So you know what? Let's try it. No policeman ever cheated. Uh, my wife never cheated on me with no policeman. Uh, the Jaguar has never bitten anybody in Amsterdam. It never happens. Let's take some risk over here. You can immediately see where it will go wrong. Mm. And when it will start to go wrong, and all these data leaks will occur, occur it will happen in a few years. We can, we can keep the, uh, store this, 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 uh, this conversation of ours, and we can uh, look back on it, reflect on it in, in a few years. And then people will say, oh, wait a minute, we shouldn't have taken that risk. We shouldn't have let the Jaguar out. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I'm, th- I'm saying, look at the teeth and the claws <laughs> of, that, of that mofo. I mean, you don't let them out. How can you... And, and it's the same with, with this. Okay, we put all your personal, vital, uh, um, extremely sensitive data in one tiny app, knowing that there's a tremendous amount of cybercrime. So all these worry. criminals, they can okay. now, they can go to one certain point. They, they, can, they can focus their energy on one point. That's what criminals do, mm. because they're smart. They're smarter than our governments. Oh yeah. And if you want to prevent the abuse, then you shouldn't create a certain situation. You should you should, you should let you should keep the policeman out of your bed, <laughs> yeah. your wife's bed. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Good allegory. Um, and so, yeah, I, I suppose it brings us to the final. Uh, yeah, two, I have to two go questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I know I've uh, kind of gone over the time limit that we set. Apologies, yeah. for that, but thank you Quite for a, yeah. uh, for being generous. That's okay. With your I'll time. Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks. Uh, there's a Jaguar down the road. I'm sure you can have Jaguar better. Exactly. He won't uh, be starving, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, what do you think is something that we should be aware of that currently people just aren't looking at at this point in time? We've spoken about a few different topics here today. Where do you think that people need to be paying more attention? Uh, well, uh, everything we've mentioned in this uh, conversation. But if you're if you live in the European Union, just Google the IDAS directive, E-I-D-A-S directive. Look, look at what it is, SSI, uh, all these terms. Yeah. I'll send people links. And just, just look at it for five minutes yeah. and ask yourself, what's going on here? Why are you building this technology? Should this technology exist in the first place? Um, I'm going to make a horrible co- comparison. I was wondering if I should do that or not, but I, I will. Um, do you know which occupied nation in the Second World War had the highest rate, the highest, as the Nazis would call it, extermination rate of Jewish people? There's one nation that exceeds them by far, the rest by far. I couldn't tell you. It's the Netherlands. About 90% of the Jewish population were... Uh, Rounded up and murdered. Um, and there's a lot of debate about it, even in, <coughs> in states that were actively cooperating with the Germans, like Hungary and Slovakia and Italy, uh, Bulgaria, they had lower numbers. And there's been a lot of research about this. Um, 
um, Simon Wiesenthal, the famous Nazi hunter, he, he, he didn't want to blame the Dutch people. He said, well, your country is flat and it has so much water. So a lot of Dutch people don't have cellars where you can actually hide Jewish people. He was quite mild about it. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, if he was being too mild. Um, what do we know? is that the um, municipality of Amsterdam, they've ordered a machine from IBM just before the war. And it was actually the first computer. It, it was a system where, um, where um, data from inhabitants were digitalized. Yeah. It, it, it was the first electronics means of, of doing so in, in, in history. And uh, it, it worked with cards, pons cards. So if, if, you, if, you would, if you needed to query, um, you needed to enter your your query with a card, a plastic yeah. card, and some paper would come out, and the computer would make these computations. And what the Nazis invented, so at a certain point in time, the Nazis they took control of this machine, and they started looking for all the people named Cohen or Polak. And then, then they simply knew where they lived, and they, they could took them one by one. Yeah. It's horrendous, and. Um, um, the lesson from that is that certain technology, if it falls in the wrong hands, which it might, uh, it, it has such, such destructive consequences, irreparable consequences. And people might say, well, we, we embarked on this journey with, with the right intentions. But like they say, the road to hell is paved with right intentions. And mm. if you... Um, all the, the technology that's being implemented right now with a, with a virus as an excuse. Um, uh, so the whole story doesn't make any sense either. So all, all the, the mitigating measures, measures that could be taken don't make any sense as well. Um, I mean, if, if you build a, um, if you build a completely digital society, uh, because of a pandemic and you let doctors monitor it. Or so. No, that, that's not going to do the job. You need IT experts to, to monitor the system and to make sure that it doesn't get abused. But if the healthcare, is, if the pandemic excuse isn't really an excuse, a reason for, for building such monstrous technologies that, that could result in such devastating outcomes, um, then, then people should be aware that this pandemic is used for for uh, for executing a political ideology that has nothing to do with that uh, um, uh, pandemic. Yeah. But the thing is that a lot of people that I talk to, also people in my close vicinity, yeah, friends, I don't want to alienate them, but uh, you know who you are. <laughs> uh, even now, they still don't want to see it. So when the pandemic is waning, so the government says, okay, maybe we should release uh, the bars or whatever. But we are going to invest more money in the Corona app. If by now you don't understand uh, that on. this pandemic is being used for 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 an, for for an alternative for, for another political agenda, when will you see it? I think that a lot of people won't be able to see it. And it um, and um, we have this in in Europe. We have this. Uh, it's called a recovery and uh, resilience facility. So I, maybe you remember that we just had uh, the, the pandemic and then people said, well, you know what? We need to mobilize 800 billion euro in Europe to fight uh, the virus. 800 billion euro. And 20% of that should be invested in digitalization. 
And all these healthcare workers that I talk to, the doctors, the hospital directors, scientists, virologists, they, they all ask me, they said, okay, but Arno, that's good, right? The European Commission is going to raise 800 billion euro and that's going to improve healthcare because there's a healthcare crisis. So if you raise money, it goes to healthcare, right? I said, ah, 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 ah. it doesn't work Wishful like thinking. that. Yeah. You will get less than 5%. 20% of this money, 160 billion euro, will go to digitalization. Yeah. I think it was from yourself, actually, that I heard. Was it yeah. Italy plunged? Italy. It's, it's the Italian fund. But, but Italy said we, we have to pledge 20% to digitalization because otherwise we wouldn't get any cash. Yeah. So all the other na nations need to do this as well. Yeah. But the Netherlands, for example, we have the best um, internet in the world. Everything here is digital. Uh, broadband, you, you, you name it. So if, if you want to invest 20% uh, of any fund in, in, in we, we, we don't need more internet. We, we don't need more QR codes. We need more nurses. Mm. <laughs> God yeah. damn it. That, that's why people are dying in hospitals. Yeah. Not because we, we don't have internet. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have nurses and the nurses stay away because they don't earn enough because we have inflation. That's the problem. Every Everything is being handled because of the of the pandemic, except for the, 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 the situation that these nurses find themselves in. And then these nurses say, you know what? You call me a hero. You talk about us all the time, but you're underpaying me. Bye-bye. I will go and do something else. Yeah. That's what's happening right now. I've got some and, interesting... But, but, but people should be, be aware of this. And, and the thing is that every step that's going to be made henceforth is, uh, is excessively dangerous and, and harmful. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, the next step indeed is building an app with with connects your healthcare data to to your banking data. Uh, yeah, that, that's what it's, it's. It's no longer a a study or so. It's not a, okay. We're going to do a test. How, Arno, how can you be against testing uh, a certain technology or whatever? Or no, it's being implemented. So if you want to do something about this, uh, and if you don't want to end up in a digital uh, dystopic uh, society nightmare yeah. undemocratic nightmare this is the time to act yeah yeah no wholeheartedly agree and i've got some yeah I thought, interesting i, I thought you would otherwise you wouldn't have interviewed me but yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah you're right there i mean i've got some interesting anecdotes with regards to the healthcare situation i know um yeah I, i'm sure we can talk about it over a game of pool but that what you say there about people who don't accept what's happening in front of their eyes that with the pandemic being used as, as a smoke screen in essence yeah. to usher in this digital revolution um as mr schwab would say the fourth industrial revolution yeah it, it's interesting to see and hopefully at some point one day everyone will be able to recognize it but look arno i'm gonna let you go because i'm sure yeah. you're, you're getting the, the longer you wait the greater the damage will be no absolutely yeah, That's the whole issue. Yeah, it, it's going to be harder to walk it back when it's further yeah. and further implemented. Exactly. Thank you very much for You're all the time that you've been generous enough to to give us. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to let you crack on. Thank you.